Welcome to Talking to Myself. I'm Elizabeth Monson. I'm Elizabeth Meyer. And we are here this week with the subtle art of not giving a fuck. Nope, that's not what it's called. It's, it is. It is called that. <laughs> a counterintuitive guide to living your best life. A good life. A good life. Close. Almost. By Mark Manson. By Mark Manson. Um, so. Little parental disclaimer here. Gotta yep. drop, drop the F-bomb a few times. Yep. It's pretty, I mean, it's not crass, but he uses it to good effect. Yeah. Um, so, the reason why we read this book is because we were feeling a little burnt out on some traditional self-help. I think it's maybe because we thought we were going to read this and record for April, and you had the idea of doing, like, an April Fool's of reading something that's very anti-self-help. Anyway, here we are. Reading April it. has come and gone. Yeah, reading it in May. Um, but we thought it'd be fun to read something that was more anti, and this... He's got two books. He came up with a follow-up with this, I guess. And this had better reviews on Amazon. Anywho. It seems a blog, kind of too. He's a full-time writer. Yeah. He calls himself a life enthusiast. Did a little bit of research on Mark Manson. He seems like he's a pretty successful guy now. Yeah. A bestseller. And funnily enough, the way I summarized this book sounds a lot like the way we sum- summarized our last read, Essentialism. Right. Yeah. So give us the summary of... The subtle art of not giving a fuck. I just wanted you to have to say it again. Yeah. The key to a good life is not giving a fuck about more. It's giving a fuck about less. Giving a fuck about only what is true and immediate and important. Sounds a lot like essentialism to me. Yeah. So, I mean, it's basically essentialism. When we were comparing this beforehand, you had said that you felt like essentialism was the main thread that came through for you. And for me... I felt like it was super similar to The Happiness Trap. It's very ACT-based. In fact, we tried to get Becca to come on, but she is busy on our night of recording. Sad, sad. (laughs) I'll just bring her up in every podcast. Um, So she has to keep listening. (laughs) Anyway, um, again, we're encountering a lot of the same themes, but obviously in this book, those themes were delivered a little bit differently. Namely, with a lot of cursing. Well, not a lot of cursing, but a lot of F-bombs. Yeah, there was some vulgarity. Yeah. Um, I think that that was a a tactical approach by the author, though, to try to get some people who might not traditionally read a book about values. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Not not be so interested in a value-based approach. So what do you think? Do you think it's successful? Yeah, I, I really liked reading the book. I definitely think that sometimes his tone was a little bit difficult to digest. What do you mean? I just didn't always love the F-bombs. Oh, yeah, totally. But I got the point, and I also thought it was a nice change from the more conventional self-help books. Right. It's kind of funny, like, I don't really know what most of the authors look like that we've read, but they just give, like, dad vibes, and this doesn't. No, this doesn't. This guy feels like a millennial. Yeah. I agree, though. I think that there's certain parts where he tries to be, like, more boundary-pushing than just giving F-bombs, and he tries to, like, use funny language to kind of, like, tease about things. I don't have any examples because I don't highlight the parts that annoy me. Um, but 
I don't know, not such a successful comedian, but a pretty successful self-help book. Like, I think a lot of people could read this and have a lot of good takeaways. And there were areas, which we might get into later, where I think that his delivery is actually more successful than a lot of the ones that are kind of more, like, positive. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. He really reminds you not to only fixate on what's positive Mm -hmm. because there's importance also in what's negative. Yeah. So you were talking a little bit before we started recording about how he titles his sections, how he approaches each section. It's a little bit different. What are you you hinting at here? Um, Yeah, so basically he kind of flips everything on on its head. So instead of having the kind of the more positive approach, everything is the negative version. So chapter titles are, like, chapter one is called Don't Try. Um, And then he goes into kind of like the, the the feedback loop from hell the subtle art of not giving a fuck, happiness is a problem, um, emotions are overrated, the self-awareness onion, the non-obviously negative, um, shitty values, defining good and bad values, there is no how, like, just, like... He also says failure is the way forward. Yeah. So I felt like that was super refreshing. It's like... You're wrong most of the time, but it's good to be wrong because you can learn from those mistakes and you can make sure not to repeat them. Totally. So let's dive right into what we think is like the most unique part of this book, aside from all of the F-bombs, (laughs) F-word, like I'm such a grandma about language, Um, which is values. And so obviously the overarching thesis is that you should not care about many things, but you should care about something specific. And often when we read books that suggest something like that, it brings up the question, like, sure, if I'm going to be an essentialist, what am I essentialist about? Or if I'm going to be, if whatever, the happiness trap is all about identifying my values, how do I even go about identifying those? Or what do I want to do when I grow up? Or what do I want to do right now? But he actually goes as far as to highlight what good values are and what bad values are so that you can kind of like pick from a set of options rather than having to like sit there and try to figure out what you care about. So good values are, and these are the descriptors, and then he actually gives examples of good values. So the descriptions for good values, they are reality-based, socially constructive, and immediate and controllable. Bad values are superstitious, socially destructive, and not immediate or controllable. So, like what? So, I mean, from the perspective of good values, one of the things that I really liked about this is usually I like to state what my values are, especially when I'm feeling really pumped up from another recorded episode of Talking to Myself. Oh my gosh, yes, (laughs) yes. But then I realized that they're just really top level. They're not specific enough. Mm. So I like that he calls out honesty as a good value. Yeah. As, a, as one example, because it's something that you have complete control over. So when you're thinking about identifying what your actual values are and how you're going to take actions and 
how you're going to measure those actions against your values, it's really important to think about something that is actually within your control. Yeah, oh, so completely. you can tell if you're being honest. Right. And it reflects reality and it benefits other people. Yeah, I like that he kind of talks about like oftentimes when people talk about changing their life or like improving on themselves, it's like, okay, so when am I going to start? Like, now I've identified that I want to focus on blah, 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 and I'm going to start next Monday when I'm fully ready to do so. And he basically says, these values, any of these values are things that you can start immediately. You just make a choice then and there to be more honest or to like be more vulnerable, to stand up for yourself. Like Every day you can make these decisions and it doesn't like require planning for it in the future. It can happen right now. I mean, on the flip side, talking about things that are outside of your control, mm -hmm. if being popular is one of your values, for example, then it's, it's a pretty shitty value, honestly, because much of what happens around your popularity is really outside of your control. Right. You have no idea what people are thinking about you and you really can't control it. So when we have poor values, we give fucks, sorry, about <laughs> things that don't really matter. Yeah. And that have no chance of making you happy in the future or no chance of making you sustainably happy. So, so good values, healthy values, honesty, innovation, vulnerability, standing up for yourself, standing up for others, self-respect, curiosity, charity, humility, and creativity are awesome values, which you can implement in your life at any time. I didn't highlight all the bad values. Does he list those? He lists some, like pleasure, material success, always being right, and staying positive. Oh, yeah. So funny that he says staying positive I is a bad value. Staying positive, yeah. So, I mean... I will say that sometimes I add that to my list of values. To stay positive? Yeah. Well, he says... I mean, I know it's wrong Staying now. positive is, in and of itself, a negative experience. Yeah. He, I mean, he's totally right. Also, completely in the happiness trap. I was just going to say that, right? Yeah. It's like happiness at high-level peaks can't be sustained, more so if you set values and work towards them over a lifetime, you'll be able to sustain something in the realm of happiness. <laughs> it's not like, like, it's not your birthday every day. Yeah, completely. It's not going to happen. That's why that's why people use drugs. Yes. To yes. be able to sustain those highs. It's not realistic. <laughs> no, it's not realistic. Also, like it I think it like puts blinders on to the reality of situations. I mean, he's all obviously like pro having negative experiences. And I don't think I'm an extreme version of that. And like having a positive outlook is something that I do like to have. But it's not a good value. I agree. Yeah. I mean, material success is another one that comes up time and again in these books that we read, mostly because what we're doing here is pretending that something that's a goal is actually a value. And yeah. goals can help you achieve your values, but they can also really get in the way of what's the most important. And one example that Mark Manson uses that other authors have definitely used in books we've read is 
saving up to buy that perfect house or dream car. Mm-hmm. It's like, what happens when you reach that? You're done. Yeah, you have nothing, nothing else left. for you to, to go for. And then you're not happy. And the whole point of it is happiness, right? <laughs> it is kind of funny, though. Like, I guess the whole point is happiness. I don't think that Mark Manson would say that. I think the whole point is happiness. But what separates some people's happiness, I think, from others' happiness is just the way that they define happiness. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Um, He also defines self-improvement, which I think is very relevant to us. So he says in the book, it's a quote, this in a nutshell is what self-improvement really is about. Prioritizing better values, choosing better things to give a fuck about. Because when you give better fucks, you get better problems. And when you get better problems, you get a better life. Yeah. Which is good. So it all sounds really great. I think this happens a lot. We get really caught up in the message when we read the book. I know it's really funny. I was just reflecting on this today, actually. When Mm -hmm. we started this podcast, you had read a bunch of self-help books. And I had not. Yeah, you were very anti. I was sort of anti. And now I'm really into them. I embrace all of their messages. I kind of come back and I'm like, this was the best thing about every book. And I was listening to some of our old episodes recently. And yeah. And you're just like not sold on everything. But I am. I'm getting really into it. So it's funny because I feel like the tables have sort of turned a little bit where I'm yeah, absorbing that is funny. everything. But one thing that I think it's really important to do is look at these messages and then think about how they are applicable to real life. Yeah, totally. So regarding the decision-making process around choosing what fucks to give in your life, I was talking with another friend about this book Mm -hmm. last week, someone I really respect. He's in my professional circle, and I was talking to him about how much I liked it. I was recommending the book to him, and he said, don't you think it's really problematic to just assume that you cannot give fucks? Like... We have societal commitments to other people. No. I agree, right? Yeah. But also I think it's, you can't just come out of nowhere and give no fucks about anything. You have to give enough fucks about something where you're establishing what your set of values are so that by the time that you're not giving fucks, it it doesn't feel like it's offensive. Right. Yeah, it's not about, I mean... The title sells the book on the bookshelf, I'm sure, but it truly isn't about not caring about anything. It's just about picking and choosing what you care about and aligning it with your values so that you can be happier. Yes, I agree that there are some problems with this category of literature because it's very focused on what you can do and not how to like put it into practice in a life surrounded by other people. But also, or and also, you can only control yourself. So if you talk about like values are things that are immediate and controllable, really all we can do is control ourselves and how we react to things or how we prioritize things, and we make choices all the time. So you are better off if you have clear values and can make choices that reflect those. Yeah. I mean, there's something else that's inherent about this title, which is... It's not just about which things you care about and which things you go big on. There's also a a hint at emotion. Mm -hmm. You know, not giving a fuck is like an emotional thing. Yeah. And 
basically Mark Manson says that everybody has problems. But when you identify your your values, you're figuring out which problems to have in your life. So which things affect you. So I think that that's a really important thread to jump into too because we're also saying the way that we react to an issue is fully connected to how much importance we give it. Yeah, or like there's a part where he's basically like when you're choosing a partner, you're choosing also the person you're going to argue with all the time. Like when you buy a house, you're also buying the thing that you need to put a lot of time and effort into that's like going to need repairs. Like you're choosing which house you want to fix up. Or when you choose a job, you're going to choose the thing that's like going to annoy you a lot and cause you stress. But you're choosing which thing because it's not realistic to avoid problems entirely. But there are better problems to have based off of what you think is the most important. And I think also... In that case, it's not really like a value-based approach, but it's what's the right problem for you or like which problem suits you in this case. He even talks about his favorite values are failure, responsibility, uncertainty, and rejection. And mostly, actually, I don't know if I agree that those are values. He finds those very character-building. I liked when he talked about certainty a lot because Mm -hmm. he says that certainty is the enemy of growth. And it's basically just like, once you're comfortable in something, what is the likelihood that you're going to continue to pursue it? Yeah. And that really resonated for me, especially in our line of work. Mm -hmm. We work in digital. It's always evolving. Yeah. And in order to continue to be good, I like to think we're good. Yeah. You definitely have to take risks. And you have to keep learning. Mm-hmm. You can't just keep, be stagnant. Totally. Um, so yeah, I like I like thinking about that. It, there's just this whole level of self self awareness that comes with all of these themes, where you actually have to step back and say, like, am I really great at that? Or if I am great at that, is it because I dedicated so many hours to making sure that I was, you know, really on the ball, or that I was learning the most I could learn? I did, I highlighted a quote from How to Be a Little Bit Less Certain of Yourself, one of the chapters, which will lead me into another question that I really like. And he goes, as a general rule, we're all the world's worst observers of ourselves. When we're angry or jealous or upset, we're oftentimes the last ones to figure it out. And the only way to figure it out is to put cracks in our armor of certainty by constantly questioning how wrong we might be about ourselves. Am I jealous? And if I am, then why? Am I angry? Is she right? I'm just protecting my ego. And basically, you have to make a habit out of these questions, or else you'll never kind of get to the root of your issues. And to go off of that a little bit, he kind of goes, he encourages people to ask, what would happen if I was wrong about this? Which I think is a really great question. Or like, what's at stake for my own ego or my understanding of myself if I'm wrong about this? Which is just like, I don't know. I feel like people really don't ask themselves that. It's a really uncomfortable place to put yourself. Yeah. Like, he doesn't really go into it that much, but it's honestly, it's like so interesting to ask yourself, right? If it's a project at work, like, do you have a firm stance on? Like, are you just gonna be embarrassed if you're wrong? Or is it like, does it impact business? Like, in relationships, like, if you, again, like, it's so much about protecting your ego. 
sometimes I really do find myself asking myself, though, I'm like, why does that make me jealous? Yeah. Because I get really jealous. Or, like, why am I really pushing this? Right. Or, like, why am I so defensive about this one issue that I don't want it to happen? You have to be very honest with yourself, though. Yeah. So every once in a while, we talk a little bit about what we do in our day-to-day. Mm-hmm. And one of the parts I found really interesting was just, you know, a lot of authors just love to talk about millennials. Yes, and love to generalize about millennials. Yeah. Love it, hate it. We are millennials, technically speaking. <laughs> technically speaking. We also are millennials who have spent the better part of our careers working in social media, yep. digital marketing, where the actions of millennials are very visible. And I think one of the reasons that our demographic is really dissected um, is because our lives are really transparent. We're using all of these tools. Right, and it's obvious. And when you talk about the measures of success in this category, you're yeah. talking about like most amount of followers. Followers, likes. Likes, shares. If you're on our end, you talk about impressions. <laughs> right. But I mean, also, if you're yeah. on our end and you've grown with these platforms, you start to talk to businesses about what a strong, measurable, actionable key performance indicator actually is. And you say, like, followers may be bullshit. Yeah. And then when you talk about, on a personal level, people who are opening these channels are saying, like, what do I need to do to be the most extreme, to be the healthiest, to be the fittest, to jump the highest, to wear the best outfits, to have the cutest dog? It's yeah. a world of extremes. So nobody's really measuring themselves against normalcy. They're actually just looking at what's super transparent, what's really visible in our generation, and comparing ourselves to those things. Also, I think that now more than ever, there's so many visible and available bad values that are really, they provide like a huge endorphin rush. So likes, followers, and all of that are all bad values. Like you talked about popularity being a bad value, but it's like straight dopamine when you are, especially if you're a young person, I think. I mean, obviously it causes a lot of stress also, but the fact that there's just like so many options for how to measure popularity and not just like who seems the most popular, um, it's just, yeah, it's just easier to have these bad values put in front of you. A user follows on average like a hundred people. I think I follow a thousand. <laughs> Um, and this person was posting a story and it was about how social media has stressed her out so much lately and she's been trying to have like digital detox days, which I am not shading any of this stuff. I think all of that is great if that makes you feel good. But then she was complaining about how everything on Instagram is fake and she only needs to be there for her business, but she really needs to be there. And yeah, it's connected to her with good people. Anyway. And then I looked at her account and it's still just pretty pictures. Like, she literally, like, is not posting anything real on her account. And then she's just going to stories to complain about it. And it's like, hello. I know. Just be a real person. Yeah. It's all propagating the like, problem. you are being the fakest account and then trying to be honest in stories where it has less of an impact on your likes. 
I looked up Mark Manson after we read this book just to kind of see where he was coming from. Yeah. And he's our age. And Which is 23. <laughs> Gen Y, yeah. is it? <laughs> no, he's our age. And um, so sort of relating all of this back to what he says about our shared demographic is mm-hmm. just that we have somehow been brought up in a society where people believe that having negative experience is not okay. Yeah. So that's really where all the curation comes into play. It's like, even if you acknowledge that it's not good for you, you still have bad values. Yeah. And it's all about having a negative experience. Yeah. Character building. Although I will say that there's nothing worse than when you're going through something shitty and someone tells you that it will be character building. I know. That's the thing with all these books. I think you kind of have to read them when you're in a good place. Yeah. If you were in a dark place, this wouldn't feel very good. I mean, maybe, I don't know. Hard to say. He's definitely like an honesty is the best policy kind of guy. Yeah. So one of the other things I read about him is that he's kind of a dating expert. Yeah. There's a huge portion of this book dedicated to his sexual history, I guess. That's how he his fail his failures there or how he learned the most about himself. But position them as his successes there. To be honest, I thought it was kind of annoying. Yeah, it was a very male overview. Yeah, and it doesn't really have anything to do with the good parts of this book that are like actionable for individuals. He talks about how narcissism. I don't know. What does he say about narcissism? And then he just comes off as very narcissistic when he's talking about his own experience. He's like, listen, guys, having traveled the world and banged a bunch of ladies, like, I know that that doesn't contribute to happiness. Trust me. I tried it. Yeah. Like, cool, It's big eye roll, yeah. I found it very annoying. So just skip. If you're reading this, just skip all the parts where he talks about dating. One thing, he has a few quotes in here that I think are funny because they're like... They're just, like, not that intelligent pop culture quotes, but I felt like they emphasized his points in the right ways. So he quotes Freud at one point, and he says, One day, in retrospect, the years of struggle will strike you as the most beautiful. And then he also quotes Yoda. So he basically says, Do or do not, there is no how. When he talks about, like, when people are looking to change and they, like, are waiting to make that change, he basically says, do it immediately or value changes that you can actually control of yourself. And just stop analyzing. Yeah, stop analyzing. Just do it. You know, I Oh, you can also quote Nike. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. That's in book two. Yeah, book two. Which we will is... not be reading. Just no. Kidding. Although both of us did like it. We liked now it. Now we're going negative. Yeah. <laughs> we liked it. I would give it to a friend who's, like, uh, reluctant to approach self-help. Like a dude? Yeah. I feel like it's maybe geared towards men. Because what guy is like, yeah, I'm going to go pick up this latest self-help book. Yeah. Like they see an F-bomb in the title. See, he's, like, going to all these different countries and having these different love affairs. And he's like, yeah. They're like, yeah, I can really relate to this. Self- self-help for men. Yeah. Ugh. Okay. Now I hate it even more. <laughs> 
great. No values. We liked the part about values. Honestly, yeah. There are some some of these concepts that are best delivered very bluntly. All right, what else do you want to talk about? What do you think you're going to take from this book and actually put into your life, like ASAP? So I really liked thinking about the fact that happiness in and of itself is a problem. That there's a premise that underlies a lot in our assumptions and beliefs, and that premise is that happiness is some sort of algorithm. Like, if I do X, then Y will happen and I'll be happy. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, happiness really isn't something that's prescriptive. It's not a solvable equation. Right. So dissatisfaction, having unease, those things are really inherent parts of human nature. So just addressing that up front is definitely something that's very relatable. Because, again, we were saying, oh, I think happiness is the thing. Mm -hmm. Happiness is the thing. It is what people strive for. Yeah. But it's not a recipe. Right. So, yeah, I like that. How about you? I think there's a few things. So the first that I'm going to be taking away... At some point, he mentions that, like, having it all. Yeah, of course, everyone wants to have it all. And not having it all doesn't mean that you're a failure. It just means that you are, like, actually selecting to only care about fewer things, which I really liked. Um, because I like I definitely get in my mind where I'm like, I need this, and I need this, and I need this, and I need to do that, and I have these ideas, and I want to do it all. And he's basically like, you're not a failure if you don't have it all and do it all. You're consciously or unconsciously selecting to do less. Um, So I found that to be interesting, and that's just like a mindset shift that I have already put into place. Yeah, I mean, well, talking about mindset shifts, we were kind of just cracking jokes about the fact that he talks about his international exploits. Yeah. So, a little background on Mark Manson. It seems like he graduated during our recession of 2007-2008, had Mm -hmm. the opportunity to work in finance, and then decided to take a chance in starting his own company. And one of the things that he liked is the flexibility that it allowed him. It was an internet business, and he promptly sold most of his stuff and moved to South America and decided he was going to travel a little bit. But he does talk about how... Going to a foreign country, specifically for the first time, yeah, times, that was interesting, is really a sure way to get yourself outside of your comfort zone and to start to look at what values other people hold near and dear, mm-hmm. and and what values you might hold, and what values you may have that are shitty. Yeah, quite frankly, like you could be really, really happy and not consider any of the things that you thought made you happy in your past life. So sort of evaluating your values against a full society's expectations. I thought that, that was really, really And cool. namely he, like, in one of his last places was St. Petersburg. And it was kind of a depressing place. It was like a bad time. Bad food. Bad food. Bad apartment. Like, people were rude. But he loved it because he loved how honest everybody was and straightforward. And that just helped him identify what he cares about. Yeah. And then there's one more thing is that this book talks a lot, a lot, a lot about failure and how to view that as something that's really helpful. And I don't think that I've had a lot of failures recently, but 
I think that it helped me reframe how I look at some recent experiences and see every opportunity as kind of like a learning opportunity. So because, yeah, I guess because I look at things and I try to be positive, I always want to look at it and like call it a win or like, and now I guess I'm speaking mostly about work. Um, but yeah, I always want to like show how something was successful or how whatever we accomplished our goals. And I think it's really interesting to look at things instead of how you accomplish your goals, but like what you learned from it and what you'll do better next time or how it'll impact how you look at things in the future. And I work at a startup now and that's what startups are all about. Like, yeah, everything we do is the first, like it's okay if it's not right, but how do you improve on it? And just being like honest and upfront about that is it's it's a fun project to work on. I mean, quite frankly, that is a 180 from how big businesses want you to talk about your projects. Oh, totally. If everything I was at a big a corporation, I would just make everything a win. And it's social media, and people don't understand what that is. So you can just so call can... anything a win. But I think pushing myself to be like more honest about things and like more like investigate more fully what I learned about it or what I learned from it and not feeling the pressure to call everything a win because even just like the act of discovery can be super valuable. I like that idea. So to summarize, don't give a fuck. No. <laughs> to summarize, care about fewer things, but care more about them and keep failing. Move fast and break things. No, fail faster. Fail faster is the Facebook motto and learn from your experiences. Structure good values like honesty, creativity, and self-improvement, and you're going to be good to go. It was a good book. It was yeah, it's pretty read. good. Yeah, totally fun. Quick read. Yeah, very quick. But why read the book when you could just listen to Talking to Myself? And if you liked it, rate us five, five stars on iTunes. All right. We've got it down. Bye. Bye.